welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founder of Ultraviolet, Ava Matthews. Ava and her Ultraviolet co-founder, Beck Jefford, have been widely credited with making sunscreen sexy. It's no surprise that Ava has become an industry trendsetter given her upbringing. Her father was a fashion photographer and her mother a fashion editor, meaning Michael Hutchins was at her third birthday party and her mother once left one of Ava's slumber parties early as she needed to dress one Kylie Minogue for Mardi Gras. Ava has worked in the beauty industry for upwards of 12 years, both locally and abroad for brands including Mecca Cosmetica and Rationale. So she entered into business ownership with a beauty education the likes of which I don't think I've seen before. 2018 saw the launch of Ultraviolet, an SPF wardrobe that sold out in under 16 hours on launch. Ava's attitude reminds me of Desiem's Nicola Kilner, who I spoke to in episode 29, because these women understand that kindness is the way to lead a business into the future. In this conversation, Ava discusses the pros and cons of launching a beauty business with a single category focus. The phone call from Napoleon Purtis that brought her all the way back to Australia from New York, and whether or not consumers are, at long last, embracing sun safety. Your parents are both creatives, your mum having been a fashion editor and your dad a fashion photographer. Is it safe for me to say that your upbringing would have been a little different to most? (laughs) Um, Yeah, very safe to say. I mean, obviously it felt normal for me at the time, but it wasn't uncommon for me to wake up, you know, at 6.30 on a school morning and come outside and there'd be like a whole production crew and like Miranda Kerr sitting in my backyard (laughs) or like... You know, there's photos of Michael Hutchins at my, I think it's my third or fourth birthday. That is the best thing I've ever heard. I know. Like, God. that's all I need. I know. So, I'm just going to pack up and You know, it's home. so funny, like, this is unrelated, but even as a four-year-old, I got his magnetism. Like, if I like, really? was attracted to him. There's something about him that you kind of, like, you get wow. that feeling in your stomach, even at such a young age. Like, he was just, yeah, he was pretty special. Yeah. Unrelated, Michael Hutchins, sorry, but... <laughs> Um, yes. So my parents worked really hard and they worked pretty long hours and they traveled a lot. So we had a lot of nannies around, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it is what it is. And, and my mum was, di- you know, recently divorced. My mom, my parents got divorced when I was six. Right. So, um, she kind of had to work as hard as she did. And she was also like at that point, not even 30. Right. So it was, you know, it was, it was a very, a very different childhood, but mm-hmm. you know, exciting nonetheless. I'd spend school holidays at fashion week and you know (laughs) get to go to fun parties but you know on the flip side my parents were absent quite a bit right Mm. are you a bit disillusioned with fashion now because I feel like fashion week for me is not as exciting as it was when I was 18 but if you were loitering around fashion week (laughs) as an infant yeah you'd be a bit over it yeah pretty soon uh, yeah, I've I've never really been sucked into the whole fashion thing. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I've never really gotten it, and I and I don't know. I don't think it's cool. And I'm. I mean, look, it's it's a it's a great industry, and there are some amazing people in there, and very clever people, obviously. But um, yeah, I kind of 
when I worked for Napoleon, he spon- he would sponsor a lot of oh, shows. Of course, yeah. yeah. So I'd have to spend quite a bit of time backstage and honestly there was nothing and I'd spend a bit of time sitting front row with him and there was just not like I, I don't get excited about that stuff. I and, don't and that anymore. Ma- yeah, no, but I never really have. I think probably, mm. it, as you said, it, it has probably stemmed from being there from such a young age. Um, yeah, I, I probably am a bit disillusioned in, in that way. With your upbringing in mind, what is your very first memory of beauty? Uh, I've always been such a, such a beauty girl rather than a fashion girl. I think it was a way of, of um, kind of toe dipping into that whole industry without having to deal with any of the fashion stuff yeah side of things um oh, my mum used to honestly like she had these this um prescriptive mulberry lipstick and she used to like lather on this um revlon concealer um and i remember sitting in the front seat of the car because of course she did all her makeup in the car because she was so she was you know had three kids under six yeah um and but specifically, I remember my mum, when I was, I don't know, I must have been 13 or 14, I went into my mum's bedroom to steal, and this is obviously my first memory. It would be weird if I had my first memory at 13. <laughs> um, <laughs> the rest is just yeah. blank. But I, it's a significant one, so I'm going to tell it. Um, she, I went into her room to steal this NARS lip gloss she wore, and uh she came home like a couple of days later or she came into her bedroom to look for it a couple of days later and obviously it wasn't there because mm-hmm. it was in my bedroom or in my school pocket and she like lost it like was like because I would freak like you go in there mum had so much stuff in her room she had so much like jewelry and and clothes and and beauty and and perfume whatever mm. and she I came home from school the next day and there was a an electrician drilling like a punch coated lock onto my mom's oh my God. <laughs> bedroom door, <laughs> so you couldn't get into the bedroom without the the key, the code to her room. She was just so sick of me stealing all her stuff. So that's <laughs> that's a pretty significant yeah. beauty memory. But before that, lots of and my grandma was really into lots of makeup, and she always wore, wore hot pink lipstick. And I remember kind of being obsessed mm. with that when I was like four, three, or four or five. Yeah, can relate. Mm. The resume of beauty brands that you've worked with and, you know, accounts you've worked on, it reads like a who's who of beauty. I've got to read it because there's so many. SK2, Olay, Pantene, Aesop, Jalik, Essie, Napoleon, Mecca, Rationale, all before founding your own brand. Before all of that, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Uh, I, I went through like, you know, when you're 10 and you're like, oh, I want to be a like a criminal lawyer, I want to be a psychologist, and I that think didn't I, happen uh, to me. <laughs> well, that, that I was, was like, I'm going to be on the stage. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. If, if you asked me at four, I said, told everyone I was going to be a star. Um, oh, that's a good answer. Yeah. I'm still telling people that. Yeah, I know. I wish I could still tell people that. I think it's too late for me. <laughs> um, Never. Yeah. So yeah, I went from wanting to be a star to wanting to be a a criminal lawyer or a psychologist and then quickly realise how much work was required to do either of those yes. two. Well, three actually. It does take a lot to be a star. Um, and I think when Sex and City came out, so maybe I was like 14 or 15, mm-hmm. and I started watching it. And 
I became obsessed with Samantha Jones. And so I was like, I reckon I could do what she the does. The best character. Yeah, of course. I reckon I can do what she does. So PR looked kind of interesting to me and I was good at English and I could public speak and mm. kind of was like, mm, this seems like it could work. So I thought I'll just do PR. I didn't ever really think beauty, but prob- maybe in the back of my mind I did I did think. So you studied communications at uni. Yeah. Did you start working in PR while you were still studying? Yes. So I remember, I don't know, I must have been in my second year of uni, so I would have been 19. And mum said, I've called Gary. So one a really good family friend of ours, Gary Saunders, had a PR agency with Adam Walling. The time it was called Walling Saunders PR. Oh, you had cool family friends. Yeah. And then, and then, um, so Gary handled the, handled the beauty side and Adam handled the fashion side. And mum said, I've just spoken to Gary. You have, if you want this interview, he's looking for, for a junior. If you want this interview, you have to call him yourself and, you know, go in and speak to him. Yeah. Thank you, mum. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because I was a bit scared of Gary. I don't know if, if anyone's met Gary. He, he could be quite abrupt and, and to, a, I guess, an awkward teenager, it's a kind of a little bit intimidating. And I was like, oh, I don't want to call. Also, just making a phone call on its own is intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> As an adult woman, I'm like, I don't. Can I just text me? Yeah. Why are you call? Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think you can get a job through texting. No. Maybe, probably not far away from from that point. <laughs> Only a matter of we, time. Uh, Beck and I have done some deals through DM, Instagram DM. Amazing. So, yeah, I'm sure we're not too far from that point. Um, yeah, I had to ring Gary, and I was like, oh, you know, can I come in? And he was like, yes, come in. So I met with him, met with the team, and they had like a beauty, a junior like an assistant position Mm -hmm. and so I said look I can give you three days or three and a half days so I started working three and a half days while I was doing uni and then I my in my third year of uni I was kind of four and a half almost five so I was kind of shoving all my classes into half a day yeah um so effectively I was yeah I was working pretty much full-time in my last kind of two years of of uni mm-hmm. doing beauty PR and that's that's when I had a lot of exposure to those brands yeah um I didn't kind of spend ages working on SK2 or like Jolique or Aesop or any of those like it was kind of like that's I worked across all of those brands for a couple of years because I was you know an account executive or whatever in an agency mm. still to be that age and you know being a touch point for those brands is crazy yeah it was good like I felt really lucky at the time were there any lessons that you took from that period that you find you're still applying to your work now? Yeah, I, I think you learn at that kind of age and stage that you have to be really proactive and really resourceful. Mm-hmm. And if, if uh, you know, um, if you're not getting an answer through one door, quickly find out which door you need to get to go to to get the answer. So I think I kind of, because I was so eager to please, I kind of would just exhaust all options before I came back to someone and was like, no, I can't do this or it needs yeah. to be done elsewhere. I think a sense of resourcefulness that I, I got at that, at that point that I haven't ever really let diminish. Yeah. You spent time working in New York pretty early on in your career. Mm. What prompted the move over there? Uh, it's funny because I'd always wanted to live in New York and I just thought it was... Is that a Sex in the City thing as well? <laughs> no, I went there, I speed, I'd, you know, by the time I was 15, I'd been to New York a few times. So mm. I kind of fell in love with it. And then I went again when I was 19 with friends and we were like, oh, this place is just amazing. And I kind of thought I'll be back here one day. Um, and then 
randomly mum was at a cocktail party and bumped into this woman whose son had just done this program called the Mountbatten program, mm-hmm. Mountbatten internship program, which is effectively like an exchange, like an exchange program between New York and London. Um, but for some reason, there's some caveat and the guy who runs the program in Australia is friends with the guy who runs the program in London. So they okay. they let a few Australians in. Mm-hmm. So you have to go through this whole process. You have to apply and, you know, do interviews and get jobs and blah, blah, blah. So if, long story short, that's how I ended up going to New York through this program. And you study. So I kind of was earning and working towards an MBA at the time. Um, although the studying is pretty, like it's a very insignificant part of the overall experience. Right. But you do imagine. have to work. You're working full time. You know, you get put up in like a, um, you get put up in apartments in the city. Okay. And you get paid a pretty nominal amount, but mm-hmm. you do get paid. And so that's kind of how I ended, that's how I got my foot in the door to, to go to New York. Um, and I worked for a hedge fund there. Can mm. you believe it? I know. My. I know it's so funny because the guy whose hedge fund it was is one of the Sacklers who are, the family's now in heaps of trouble for OxyContin. They're the family that created OxyContin. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so it's, it's like just – anyway, it was a great experience. But then what I decided – <laughs> yeah, I know. I was saying the other day, I wish I'd kept my eyes and ears open a bit more. I was just so hungover most of the time. <laughs> um, but then I ended up – after about nine months, I was like kind of sick of this. So I started interviewing for PR jobs and, mm-hmm. and got a um, an account, uh, like a manager, account manager role for a small kind of boutique PR agency and then jumped over to the E3 visa, which is really easy um, if you're, uh, I think it's under 31 or something. I don't okay. know. Yeah. Um, and then stayed there for another like seven or eight months mm-hmm. and then... And came back. Napoleon Purtis was calling. Yes. <laughs> While you were still in New York, that boutique PR agency that you were working for, was that beauty accounts that you were? It was lifestyle. So there was a okay. bit of fitness. They had kind of like a Barry's boot camp kind of client. There was yeah. some food and there was a bit of beauty as well. Having seen how the industry functions over there, what would you say are some of the big differences between the way the beauty, lifestyle, fitness, health, whatever umbrella we want to put those industries under? Mm. What are the differences between the way it works in Australia and the US? Oh, look, I guess it's just – and look, this was, you know, this was before social media was Facebook, but it was before kind of like the rise of – I miss MySpace, so I'm still there. (laughs) I think MySpace was pretty short-lived. It was – it's just such a bigger beast and you're dealing with like – it's so much more hierarchical. Like when I was in Australia, I was dealing with the editors and the deputy editors and then Mm -hmm. you go to America and you don't – they don't – we go to New York and they don't know you and um, it's – they kind it is very, they're like you know you're like lower on this on the totem pole I'm not dealing with you I'm dealing with the owner like the owner of the agency right. it, it's a lot more like this is your place and you deal with the assistants or you deal with the like junior beauty editors and mm-hmm. then like as it's more where it's a bit more it's a bit more loose in Australia and I think the people were, were I think the people in like I think the industry in Australia is a lot nicer yeah um like and also people did do not like like probably now which is now it's probably now more like how it is in terms of how you don't call people anymore (laughs) in new york they were like if you rang them they were like why are you ringing me whereas i was just used to picking up the phone to you know anyone being like whatever um 
And but they'd kind of be like, "Why are you ringing me?" I remember ringing Eva Chen, who's now at, yeah, who was Instagram. a Teen Vogue at the time, and mm-hmm. was, at, was at Instagram now. She was really lovely, but she was kind of like, there was a timer on the phone, and it was like, "You've got sixty seconds." Oh my god! And I think I said something that made her laugh, so she was like, "Relax." It was, not, but like, it was. It's very like you, it's kind of scary. It's a lot scarier than it is here. It's scary to even hear you like telling that I know, story. I've I like, know. my shoulders are up around Can my you ears. Imagine like, and the agency I worked for was hell, and the owner of the agency was an, like honestly a monster. And I don't talk badly about people that I've worked. No, for. not in um, your nature, but no, it's definitely must not have my nature. Bad. But she, you know, obviously there's a silver lining and everything. Mm, <laughs> yeah, we'll, but, we'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, she would make me sit on – I would have to call, like, get through the entire – she would try and make me call the beauty editors and there was probably a list of 100 and something at that point if you consider all the magazines and all the newspapers and blah, blah, blah. She'd, try, she'd make me call them every morning to, like, pitch the crappy brands that she had. Oh, God. And I would just pretend to call. I would just be, like, making <laughs> dialing motions and be like, hi, yeah, just wanted to talk to you about – yeah. Oh, you can't talk? Okay, yeah. All right, bye. And I'm like, sorry, she didn't want to talk. But I just was like, I'm gonna not I'm not making myself any friends here. Yeah. They're gonna hate me. I'm this new Australian girl. So I kind of just did it my way and I started taking people out to breakfast and I made a few relationships. But it's it's and it's really like it's cutthroat. It's a lot more cutthroat than it is here. Yeah. Like it's like what what press have you gotten and like what pieces it? it's probably like mm. working for Roxy. Yeah. I would imagine based on based on the one episode yeah, of based the, on yeah. the one episode of the show. <laughs> so you mentioned that call from Napoleon that brought you back to Australia. Talk yes. me through it. So Lucinda Pitt, who um, heaven on earth, yes, heaven, total heaven, love her so much. Um, she was at the time at Grazia, mm-hmm. and then she got convinced by Napoleon, and I think she also saw the. The, the plus side and in terms of broadening her career mm-hmm. um, to come over to be her his head of comms and strategy. Yeah. And she, I think she may have heard that I was having a bit of a rough time and so she emailed me, I think she emailed me and was like, yes, yeah, she did. Um, oh, there's a PR manager role available. You know, do you want to talk about, do you want to have a conversation mm-hmm. about it? I know you're in New York, you know, I know you're probably having a great time. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Get me out. Yeah, I was like, get me out. Um, and so it kind of just happened from there. And then on my way home from New York, I flew to LA to meet with Napoleon in his office mm-hmm. um, in Hollywood. And I'd already gotten the job at that point, but this was kind of like him, you know, casting his oh, eye why over not? me. not? Yeah. Someone and then, wants to fly you to LA then. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that was such a weird meeting as well. Yeah, my f- first question was, "What was my star sign?" Which is fine. Yeah. Um, and then I had to draw a ma- I draw a picture of like what I wanted, I like ha- a house to look like. I think I basically drew the house in Father of the Bride. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, having interviewed him, this does not surprise me. Yes, of in course. the slightest. Yeah, I'm sure you got some pretty similarly wacky questions yeah yeah yep. we'll um yeah. <laughs> that's what we'll call that yeah <laughs> was that your first in-house role yes how did you find that that differed to being with an agency 
I love kind of deep diving in brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny because when I was at the agency, I was working for Gary. So I worked for Gary basically from uni to till just before I went to till I went to New York. Yeah. And during that time, I was you know obviously I have great relationship with him but I was able to kind of craft the role that I wanted for myself in the agency and I spent most of my time like I'd say 70 80 percent of my time on Mecca yes so it kind of some in some ways felt like I was in-house there Mm -hmm. but it's not the same because you do have other clients and you can't just completely ignore them as much as you might want to yeah um, because I loved Mecca and they were you know definitely my favorites um so I kind of felt like I had a bit of experience in that kind of in household except that for the fact that I wasn't in the off in the office in Melbourne, I was in Sydney. Yeah. Um, but you can really, like, I just love being able to go deep and strategic in a brand and you get, you get exposure to the whole business. So you're learning really what's going on. You're learning on like what's driving product sales. You're learning like mm. what stock issues as a result you have to like talk about a different message or talk to a different product or whatever it was or you know when napoleon would come it would be kind of all hands on deck and there'd be like an you know because this was this was during the napoleon purtis heyday yeah where it was like he was doing all the david joe jones shows he was in bergdorf's in in um, america and neiman marcus and so this was really like so you kind of got a really great exposure to the whole business which i absolutely love because i ultimately knew that i didn't want to be in pr and, right. and I think that's kind of why Lucinda took me on because she knew she'd be able to put me somewhere else, which was it was kind of like this unspoken thing that we both had. It was kind of like, I'm going to take you on as this and then eventually I'm going to move you into this. And that's exactly she's what clever. I Yeah, she's, she's so clever. She's a clever woman. She's very clever. So I knew ultimately like having spent, you know, at that point was what, six years or something in PR that I didn't want to do it anymore, that I wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had to. I had to. I couldn't do that in an agency. I had to be in house. So yeah. that's kind of it, the reason I went to Napoleon was quite strategic in itself. In that I knew I'd be able to, mm-hmm. and that would then lead to other things. Because I think if you spend too long in PR, you're pigeonholed. It's funny because I haven't done PR. Like I have actually haven't pitched, and I'm saying in inverted commas, <laughs> like for what how like I'm going to say seven years. Yeah. But people still think that I'm my back. Like that I was just a, that not just because it's it's. You but know, that you've gone job. straight from PR to yeah, running to the brand. Doing, and I'm like, I've done so much stuff yeah. in between. So from there, speaking of doors that had opened, mm. you moved to Mecca. Now you mentioned that you'd already worked on that account and were pretty much in-house there. What took you back there? Um, I, I kind of was at a point at Napoleon where I didn't really feel like I could do anything else. I'd moved from PR into comms and strategy and kind of had toe dipped a little bit into product development and, mm-hmm. and marketing ah. strategy. So I'd done a few things and I, I kind of – it was at a point where all the good people were leaving Napoleon Yeah, and it was becoming an environment I didn't want to be in anymore and I thought, okay, where am I going to – what are my next moves? Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, I want to stay in-house. I can't really think of any – I want to stay in beauty. So, I'm like, Estee Lauder. So, I was like, Estee Lauder, okay. The other option is – and I think, again, Lucinda put it in my head. There was a job going at Mecca and I saw it. And she, I was like, oh, like this would be such a good job if only they were in Sydney. And she was like, well, what, like, what are you, what's keeping you here? <laughs> and there wasn't – like, I mean, aside from my amazing family and my incredible friends – there wasn't anything else really keeping me in Sydney. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, yeah, I guess I could move to Melbourne. Um, and so the whole process took, you know, maybe three or four months. So I yep. started talking to Mecca and and there were a couple of roles and they were like, come out. They flew me out to meet with them and, 
you know, I met with quite a few people. I met with Joe and a, few, a whole bunch of other people. And I knew a lot of the key players there as well. Yeah, of course. I dealt with them um, previously. And so I, I met with a few different heads of departments and it was kind of like, where do we put you? Yeah. <laughs> like, there was a marketing role going, but they, you know, they were like, it's probably a bit too operational for you. Where can we put you? And in the background, there was a whole bunch of hap- stuff happening with the signature line department, which is their private yes. label department and which I wasn't aware of and then um so I went back a couple of times and ultimately they were like I met with Beck who is now my business partner mm-hmm. then my boss um and like th- on paper the the job description for the Mecca signature line brand manager role is like absurd I remember <laughs> looking at it and being like I cannot do this like this just looks so hard there's all this stuff about numbers like I was you know, I was fine at maths at school, but like, I don't know how I can do this. This seems, you know, like I just, I feel like way out of my depth. And Lucinda was actually there at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the pattern. She's here. a guardian yeah, angel, she isn't is. she? She's, yeah, she's my fairy job mother. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And um, she was like, you can totally do it. Like I'm seeing, the, you know, I am seeing how these this team operates. I'm seeing what they actually do. There is no doubt in my ma- mind that you can do this. So anyway, long story short, took four months mm-hmm. ended up looking after the Mecca Cosmetica signature line and that's what how it happened you've <laughs> used the word absurd which seems pretty spot on because I did want to ask you about that role as brand manager because they call it brand manager but looking at it it, yeah. it reads to be a combination of about eight different positions yeah. wrapped into one yeah how would you describe as a top level or as you know in depth as you like how would you define what you were doing there well, it's, it's interesting because it is a brand manager role, but it's it, you can kind of make of it what you want. Mm-hmm. And it's effectively a general manager role. Yeah. You're, you know, you're in control of your own, the brand's P&L. Mm-hmm. You're in control of sales, obviously in combination with the store teams and the, you know, store managers yes. and blah, blah, blah. Um, you, you're in control of the product development <coughs> and the product pipeline. Yes. You're in control of the marketing, the messaging, the content, um, you know, the not the execution of everything, um, but, you know, the digital media. Like, you you look you, – there's not one area of that business, stock levels, that you don't touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it is a bit of – it's a quite it's – a, it's a generalist role. Yeah. And, you know, not many people are good at everything. No. So most aren't. No. And so, I, I the thing is about Mecca at the time is that it was a really great environment um, and they were very – you know, receptive to your strengths and, mm-hmm. and especially – and Beck was too. So, you know, having – she was incredible in terms of like knowing what she was dealing with me um, and where I was really good at um, and what I could do to help shine a light on those brands because they were kind of a bit um, lifeless. Well, the Mecca brand was a bit lifeless. Yeah. Um, it, it had just launched so there kind of wasn't a huge amount of – Well, from a consumer pizzazz. point of view around that time, I – certainly wasn't hearing much about it. It wasn't until like looking at the timelines when you took over, that's when it exploded. Yeah. I mean, look, we saw some really incredible growth, but there's so, there's so many, you know, pieces and people involved in all of, in, in a lot of that. Um, But, you know, so it was kind of, it is, it's kind of, it's a scary role to kind of look at, but once you're in there and you chip away, it's, it's kind of not so bad. And you Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, obviously, I made mistakes. We all make mistakes, but it was yeah. a really great learning, a learning ground for me, and it really allowed. Like, I don't think that I would be able to do my own brand 
I don't think I would, you know, the, if it weren't for this role. It was right. it was really critical. It, it kind of gave you the confidence, gave me the confidence in a way to really understand what was involved. Mm-hmm. You mentioned product development in there. Was this where the sunscreen obsession was born? I wouldn't really say it's an obsession. <laughs> it's funny because if you told me when I was 26 that I would, in you know, six years have my own sunscreen brand yeah. I would have laughed in your face <laughs> like I was one of the people that was you know I was really scared of sunscreen I was like it's gonna make me break out mm-hmm. um it's gonna make my skin look greasy I certainly didn't wear it I wore it to the beach and I wore it on holidays but I certainly didn't make it a part of my daily kind of routine yeah um either that I would have you know the SPF I rely on the SPF in my foundation which mm-hmm. is we all know you can't do yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not going to get angry at you because obviously you don't do that now. No, but I don't do that. <laughs> I still have friends that do it. Oh, Ooh. me too. I just got off the phone from a friend who was like, who'd spent 40 minutes sunbaking on her rooftop no, 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 without no, no, any no, no, sunscreen. No. I feel morbidly ill. I know. Oh. I know. I know. She was like, why is this bad? I'm like, I don't even have the time. I've got to go. But I'll ring you back for an hour. Like, Pencil me in for an hour and later this afternoon I'll tell you all the reasons why. Um, But, yeah, no, that's where I guess my um, interest and understanding of sunscreen Mm -hmm. um, started. But it definitely wasn't an obsession at that point. Not at the very beginning. But I I started kind of realising that I needed to wear it. Were you a part of developing the... Signature line SPFs? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Joe Horgan actually developed the first one yeah. um, herself. That was like, I think it was, that was 15 years ago, I think. The To Save Face 30. Yeah. Um, and there hadn't really been much um, going on since that, uh, since that point. Um, and the reason that, you know, their sunscreen categories are so big is because you can't, like it's really hard to get an international sunscreen brand into Australia, of course. so there was like they, they, you know, a lot of their skincare brands would have sunscreens, but there's they couldn't, you know, they'd go from an SPF 50 in America to a, you know, slapping an SPF 15 label on it because it didn't meet yeah. our criteria. You've mentioned Beck, yes. So you met Beck while you're at Mecca. Did heaven on earth, heaven. Um, I understand that it was at Mecca that you guys sort of started to have ideas I this is the way that I look at this I feel like it's one thing to have a colleague that you really like working Mm. with but for that relationship to be strong enough to be like we're going to go into business together is another thing entirely so at what point were the two of you like okay this is more than your average working relationship I don't I've always been like Beck and I we probably had six months at the beginning where we were like just we needed to understand each other. Or maybe, no, not even six. I'm going to say three where I was like, I don't think Beck likes me. And she was probably <laughs> like, oh, Ava. You know, like, um, and, I, and I think once we kind of got to that point of being able to understand each other. Mm-hmm. And we're very different people. Like, we're not really. You like, kind of need that in business, Yeah, you though. really do. We obviously align and we our values, you know. Yeah. Are, more or less exact, uh, you know, the same. But we're very different people. So it did take a little bit of time and and it was an adjustment until we kind of got each other. But mm-hmm. once we were there, I just kind of loved her. I think it was like 
one night we went out for drinks and I was like, I was kind of like, oh, this is me so boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> Beck's going to have sit on one wine for like yeah. three hours. Like one hour later, we'll probably throw our first bottle. Not to say that <laughs> this isn't how all our meetings were. This is a safe is, space. Yeah, and I think it was like a team bonding thing. And I was like, oh my God, like she, there's obviously so many more layers to her than I've Mm. than I've actually realised. So um, I think for both of us. So we kind of had a really great working relationship from the, you know, more or less the get-go. And um, and then I kind of, like, we were kind of having a conversation about, like, we're doing this for someone else. If only we could, you know, think of something that we could do for ourselves. Yeah. And then we kind of just, the idea just kind of came to. And, and she was at first... Um, there was another person involved at that time who was no longer who was no longer involved mm-hmm. and was not um, obviously a part of the business. Um, but w- the two of us not were going to Beck and we're like, come on, like this is amazing. You yeah, know, like um, we could do this. And then and then um, Beck was kind of like, what are you guys like? What what are you guys smoking? Like <laughs> I've got two kids. My husband's you know about to. Um, he was running his own business and he was I think he was at that point um, about to get a new job or something and mm-hmm. she was just like no it's too hard like this is risky just not times. yeah it's too risky like I just no nah, go away leave me alone and then I was was a bit more and I was like persistent and I was like no I think like let's let's just do the we were like let's just do a business plan yeah let's spend six months stress, stress testing this idea and in February, this was in July, or June, it was in June 2016. Mm-hmm. In July, in February, if we're like, if we've, you know, thrown this idea around, we've showed it to a couple of people who are really smart and whose opinions we trust and they go nut, um, then we'll abandon ship. And we've, you know, we've done a business plan, we've spent some time, you know, hanging out on the weekends, brainstorming what this could be. It's been fun, but if it's, you know, at that point it's not really going anywhere and we don't think that there's anything in this, let's, we'll just, you know, jump ship. Yeah. And we got to, I think, January and I think some things changed and then Beck kind of was like, yeah, F this, let's do it. Like she Amazing. was became the champion and was like, you know, I think this is a really great, I think there's something 100%, I, something, there's something in this and I think we should do it. So she left Mecca shortly thereafter. I left Mecca mm-hmm. and it was kind of on. In between Mecca and launching Ultraviolet, you spent a little bit of time at Rationale. Yes. How did that role prepare you for what was to come? Rationale, was a, it was a very different role because I went from Mecca where it was like really high energy and blah, 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 like you were doing a million things at once, whereas Rationale is a lot, you know, you know the brand. Oh, the second you walk in the door of that office, it's... Yeah. You know. It's very considered. Yes. It's a lot more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's a lot more protection over the brand. Yeah. Um, whereas at Mecca, like, the brand was faceless. It was nameless. Yeah. You know, it, it was kind of an extension of Joe, but not really. So you could kind of have a bit more fun with the Mecca brand. And yeah. you kind of had – like, I felt like it was my brand kind of at the time. Like, mm-hmm. I felt a lot of ownership over it. Whereas you come into Rationale and Richard's sitting, and, you know – in the room next door and you're like, you're very clear it's not your brand, it's his brand. Yeah. And he's super protective. So I think, you know, I learned the fact that they've got a lab downstairs and they have a yes. team of chemists and scientists Like, you, and Richard is 
incredibly knowledgeable about skin. Oh, the man's a genius. He's an absolute genius. There is, he's just, there's no one like him. He's incredible. Mm. Um, so I, I learned a lot about the skin. I learned a lot about the impacts of the sun on the skin because they, you know, that's something they're really committed yeah. to. The essential six is basically reversing the damage and protecting the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and go back and listen to episode two of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> Um, and I kind of also learned the, the importance of keeping your brand really protected, mm-hmm. um, from him because he's, you know, of course there's been deviations to things, but you know, they, they've had a really, you know, laser focus on yeah. that brand since day dot. Ultraviolet. Let's Welcome do it. What was the gap that you were looking to fill? Uh, look, you know, as I've said, we worked on sunscreen brands for other, sunscreen products for other brands. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of good sunscreens out there. I'm not, you know, we weren't coming in to be like, you know, there's the whole market's shit and we're like, we're coming to save you all. We kind of, it was a kind of a combination of like, we saw the opportunity at Mecca. Yeah. And we just thought like, first of all, someone needs to breathe a bit of life into this category. It's yes. something we need to be wearing every day. People hate wearing it. It's kind of, you know, people are told to wear it like from mums and doctors and whoever else is or Gemma Watts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. me yelling <laughs> at people. Yeah. I'm in Thailand literally smacking bottles of like carotin out of my friend's hands. Yeah, totally. Um, put in jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sunscreen jail. Mm. Um, which means you're inside wearing a hat. Yeah. Lathered in SPF 50 Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, people people just don't like wearing it, but they know they have to. So, like, what's wrong with this with this category? Mm-hmm. And we looked at it. There was nothing that looked beautiful, that felt really beautiful, um, that kind of was really considered. You know, a lot of sunscreens are functional. Yeah, they are created to protect your skin from the sun, and it's it's something you have to wear every day. It's something you have to wear over your skincare and under your makeup. So, why are people not putting more like? I guess, due diligence into how it's made. Um, So we were kind of like, look, we want them to be, want them to feel like skincare, wanted them to talk to you like you, someone you could relate to that wasn't, you know, yelling at you like you were going to get cancer and Mm -hmm. I mean, all of those things are really important. But it was kind of like that white coat kind of thing where there was nothing that was fun. Um, I think Kate Morris, um, who... Uh, is the adore owner well not really anymore but anyway yeah <laughs> um founder founder yes yeah, sorry yep. that was what i was looking at. yeah she said in an interview that um that we'd made sunscreen sexy mm-hmm. and like when i read that i was kind of like oh we've kind of like that's that's what we wanted yeah that's what we wanted without really articulating it in that way because mm-hmm. that's not what we said we were going to set out to do we just thought we need to make a sunscreen that sit doesn't pill under your makeup that wears nicely isn't too heavy to wear over the you know in my case three serums oil and moisturizer that i wear before sunscreen well yeah i'm making a whole cocktail dunking my head in it and then being like cool now we just sort of blast this with the hair dryer and then the sunscreen will go on yeah absolutely so it was kind of a combination of all those things without really set like without us you know we we weren't shitting on the market and saying like it was crap we were just saying something needs to someone needs to do better yeah and, and also there was nothing there was like a huge wardrobe of options so yes you know there wasn't there was like one you know a skincare brand would have like one sunscreen and if that didn't suit your skin you had to go to another suns- another skincare brand or you had to buy it elsewhere or you know for mm. whatever reason so um yeah that's 
that's kind of why we created it. So you had the idea, then where do you go from there? I know you had a business plan already, but how did you develop the products, find a chemist, name, packaging, marketing? There's a lot to it. Yes, so much. Um, So we figured out how much money we needed. Yeah. That was obviously part of the business plan kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then we knew which chemists – well, we'd already – obviously, we worked in product development, so we kind of had an idea of where we wanted to go in terms of chemists and labs, et cetera. And then we kind of went through a process. We went to pretty much all the the good ones Mm -hmm. and we're like, let's see what you – you can do for us and then we kind of that took quite a while because we were like narrowing it down from you know five to two to one Mm -hmm. um and then so we started formulating we were kind of getting constant feedback from friends and family as we were going yes and packaging so the kind of the hardest bit is obviously product especially when you're dealing with sunscreens you've got to do all the testing and the registration and all of that yeah so that kind of part took about 18 months Okay. And then the packaging, again, with the packaging suppliers, we'd worked with a lot of them. In fact, actually, the packaging supplier we ended up going with, we hadn't worked with before, we, we had dealt with. We'd never actually done anything with them, but right. we kind of liked how they operated and they had really beautiful packaging and it was all out of Korea. So it wasn't, you know, it was a really good quality, really bloody slow, but really good yeah. quality. Um, so we kind of, we took a while figuring out what we wanted it to look like because we're calling them skin screens, a combination of skincare and sunscreen. So they kind of needed to n- not look like other sunscreens. Yes. That's kind of why we got the glass dropper and the nice airless tubes. Um, and then the design, we kind of went to a contact I had in Sydney and there was a bit of a, you know, the first couple of rounds are like, mm, you're kind of getting on the same page. Luckily, they knew me, so... Um, they kind of had an understanding of what I wanted when I was good, like... Good, very I good. Want, like I'm thinking like Eve Klein Blue with like neons and like... And they were like, right, okay, let's let's yep. see. <laughs> and then th- they came back with like the third round and I was like, yep, nailed it. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. So that didn't take as long. Like I know that can probably take a lot longer yeah. elsewhere. But I had a... Pr- like we had a pretty good idea of what we wanted and I was kind of like I had this vision in my head of what I wanted and as soon as it like matched you know yeah but the pa- like the other thing is like the fin- like what people don't understand with sunscreens the finished artwork takes so long and when I mean finished artwork it's like what you actually put on the bottle or the tube or whatever of course and because you there are so many like letters have to be because it's a TGA product things have to be a certain size so the millage like the 50 mils has to be a certain size and then the letters of d- different things have to be certain sizes. So it's like Oish. really – and you have to say diff- certain things and you can't make certain claims because it's a TGA listed yeah. product. So that stuff took like two months and it's so – it's just like painstakingly detailed stuff and oh I'm God. so not a detailed person. So I was like <laughs> I hate this so much right now. <laughs> I hate it. it. I hate it. And so at that point, we were kind of like, okay, well, we're going to be launching in probably in December. So I left Rationale mm-hmm. and I spent, you know, a month and a half kind of getting the website, website ready to go. And yeah. we just used Shopify. So yeah, that's often the way to do it's it. It's so now. good. And we had someone do a custom template for us. Yeah, amazing. So, like, Shopify is just amazing. Like, I don't know, you don't need to go anywhere else. Like, people yeah. who are starting your own business, don't make it complicated. Just go to Shopify and if there's nothing on there you want get there's agencies that can do quite cheaply 
like a bit of a custom finish for you. Mm-hmm. So Sound advice. Yeah. Um, and then we were kind of ready to ready to roll in Jan- in December. We really want like the initial launch date was like October, I think, but there was no way we were going to make that. Right. Um, and we thought, oh, look, if we can at least get something quickly before Christmas, even if it's just friends and family, because we had so many friends being like, when can we buy it? When can we buy it? Mm-hmm. And we had nothing for them. So we were like, okay, like we'll just get – like we had some um, press samples mm-hmm. and we were like, let's just like we'll sell those for 100. They were like the finished product and everything, but we'll sell them and do a little pack and see how that works. It was a good test for us as mm-hmm. well. And literally in like – I think it was like – God, I can't even remember. 16 hours. 16 hours. Yeah, that that would be right. 16 hours. They'd all gone. That's unbelievable. I know. And we honestly just thought we might sell half. Like, we might sell, we might sell maybe like 50 if we're lucky. Mm -hmm. But it was a lot more than that. And we were like, holy hell. Like, when we started seeing names that weren't people that we recognized, that's when we were like, oh my God, this is real. Like, people have actually heard about this. Amazing. Yeah. It was great. So you've used the word wardrobe, which I love. It's a mm. wardrobe of SPF. Which product did you and Beck conceptualize first? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it was probably Queen Screen. Yeah, yeah, my personal fave. Yeah, I think it was Queen Screen. Um, because we kind of so we had like basically on the page on the on the you know business plan document we had like illustrations of Mm -hmm. what it would be and there was like or it was kind of like the hydrating one the like um the mattifying one there was like a few more on there like originally we couldn't afford to do everything we wanted to do at first Mm -hmm. um but then there was like i can't remember what the queen the queen screen was but it was like they're all like it was like kind of written in functional language it was like this does that yeah so we kind of like mapped them out but we didn't really know exactly what was going to be in them or how they would take shape at that point but i think we, the, for what we ended up doing, I think Queen was the first mm-hmm. that nailed it, really. So, as it stands, there's three facial sunscreens and an SPF for lips? Yes, in two shades, yeah. Can you talk me through the products and how do we choose which one is best for us? So, we just mentioned Queen Screen. So, that mm-hmm. one is kind of our hero. It's um, really kind of really lightweight. It kind of goes on invisible pretty much. Yes. Like it doesn't leave, it, it kind of rubs into nothing. Um, it's quite liquidy. So it's kind of, um, you have, you put it on with a dropper mm-hmm. um, and it's in a really beautiful glass bottle. So it feels like really nice. Like it doesn't feel like a daggy sunscreen. You're Not embarrassed to show off. <laughs> yeah. It sits very, very proudly in your bathroom. Um, and it does leave the, a bit of a glow on the skin so if you're not into glowy or if you're slightly oily probably steer away from that um it's also got vitamin c um and other antioxidants so it's like really good for the skin and uh, and hydrating ingredients as well that make that really nourish the skin so it's kind of you want queen screen if you like glow if you're kind of dry maybe slightly mature um, slash normal skin. Mm-hmm. I actually, there are actually a lot of, I read every single review, every single thing that's written about um, ultraviolet that's existing on the internet. I yep. read it. Um, like going d- deep into Reddit forums. Um, Reddit I have read is a, terrifying. It's terrifying. I get, like, I honestly, whenever I, I Google like, ultraviolet Reddit and I'm like, please be nothing new on there. Please be nothing new. I looked up my own name on oh there Oh my once. God, don't. That is no, brave. A, there was, most of it was, 
there was not a lot of stuff, but there was one thing. I just made this about me. No, there no, was just please I go, was doing yeah. a, a Q and A with with someone international, and the question, the um, the Reddit thing was like, "Who the fuck is Gemma Watts?" <laughs> 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 one of my girlfriends still, if just out of the blue, I'll just get a message from her saying, "Who the fuck is Gemma Watts?" <laughs> So that's good. Uh, yep. Well, so you yeah, read look, everything on the good. internet. Yeah, I read everything. So, but I so the point to that was mm. the fact that um, uh, a lot of people with oily skin actually do say they like it, which surprises yep. me. I kind of didn't think that they would go there. So I think, um, it, yeah, it's it's a really beautiful finish. Like if you're like kind of darker skinned, it is one of those ones that does not leave any kind of hint of a white cast. Yeah. Good. Um, so that's – and that's also my favourite. And then we've got Supreme Screen. Sorry, I should have mentioned Queen Screen is 50 plus and it's a chemical screen. Yes. Um, Supreme Screen is also 50 plus and a chemical screen and that's kind of like your all-rounder. Mm-hmm. Like it's – a lot of people use it as a moisturiser in the morning. Um, it's, yeah. They just kind of replace their moisturiser with an SPF 50, um, a, a hydrating one, and it also makes a really good primer. Beautiful. So that is the kind like that's the one if people are like oh, I'm not sure which one to get I'm concerned that queen screen might leave like might make me look too oily or too glowy or whatever I might just go for supreme it's like kind of a no brainer mm-hmm. um, again it's got really beautiful hydrating ingredients um, is that the cat yes we've got a visitor <laughs> <laughs> oh she's been hiding because the cleaners have been here she's come up hi Minxie she's like. I wish there was a visual component to the podcast. Uh, She's very beautiful. Mm, I'm allergic, but... Oh, yeah. this seems like an odd choice of pet. Oh, it's not mine. I've okay. inherited it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my partner's. Uh, um, yep, so we've Sorry. got... <laughs> yeah, it's a free screen. Um, and then we've got clean screen, which is our mineral. Mm-hmm. It's zinc only. It's only a 30. Um, people ask a lot why we don't have a 50, and... At the end of the day, we wanted to make a sunscreen that you wanted to wear every day. And yep. I've seen some of the 50 plus zincs. They're really not nice. No. Um, they're greasy. They're thick. It's you know, cricketer even some of the style. 30, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we thought, look, let's let's just have a, z- a physical off- offer mm-hmm. while we're nailing our mineral. Yeah. So that's – it's a really – people love it. It's it's kind of more mattifying than the others. So if you're more oily or if you've got like any skin sensitivities or inflammation, acne, it's really great. Um, again, it's got organic green tea and cucumber extracts and it's not a super heavy zinc. It's kind mm. of light and almost moussey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then the lip balm. I always forget about the lip balms. Um, How very t- dare you. I know. Um, two – Lip balms, peach and nude. They're SPF thirty, um, and just super like lanolin based. So if you're yeah, they're from, amazing. Yeah, if you're allergic to lanolin um, or looking for a vegan option, they're not for you. The other su- the facial sunscreens are vegan. Um, lanolin is my favorite lip. Yeah, me too. Ingredient of me full too. Time. Me too. It's amazing. Um, and then just kind of really like wearable, mm. flattering shades, but they don't really leave much of a hint of of anything they just like they they just leave a hint they don't leave much you know color yeah they are beautiful Mm. you touched on the tga and the you know the hoops that one has to jump through Mm. those sorts of challenges aside how or did you find any challenges moving from really structured workplaces where there's roles and responsibilities to self-employment um 
yeah, I did at first. I was like, oh, what the hell am I doing every day? Like, I remember mm-hmm. like a week after I left Rationale, I went, it was like, oh, I should go for a walk. So I went for a walk around the tan. I remember like crying, like just tears streaming oh. down my face. I mean, you're not running a startup if you haven't gone for no, a walk I know. and started crying. I know. <laughs> but I was like, what am I doing? Like, I feel kind of useless. Like, I don't know if I've done the right thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, all my friends were like going to their office Christmas parties. And <laughs> it was just like, I was just like, oh, no. what? That is the, the office Christmas party. That is the worst part. I can say that from experience. I'm not getting to go yeah. to them. I know. You can come to ours. We're okay. doing a much bigger one this year. Oh. There we go. When I say bigger, bigger than two people. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's just me and yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> the you. Oz Post guy. <laughs> I know. I know. The guy that delivers your mail every day. Yeah. Um, your barista. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we've got a coffee machine at home <laughs> oh, now. Oh, there so. you go. You don't even get that kind of thing. No. Yeah. It is hard doing it by yourself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I missed obviously having um, people to do stuff for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you've got your own business you have to do everything like you can't just yeah. be like oh can you just take that no you have to take that can mm-hmm. you pack that for no i have to pack that so it's like there's there's no one you have to do every job whether it's you know a strategy for a retailer something as big as that or like you know a five-year plan to as menial as like taking you know influencer send outs to the post office yeah um so that kind of is a bit of an adjustment because I am used to having a team and I'm used to having people to like help me with things and mm-hmm. kind of do a lot of the admin and I haven't done that kind of stuff for a while. So kind of getting your head back in that space. It's a different muscle. Yeah, it's a completely different muscle. And and it can be, um, you know, it's quite lonely as you would know sometimes. You mm. know, obviously I've got Beck. Um, we we don't work physically together um, in an office yeah. yet. So we work separately from our own homes uh, but we do spend a lot of time at coffee shops or bars yeah. or wherever <laughs> it might be. And obviously most meetings we go to together. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it kind of going from that kind of bigger environment where you've got teams and people and support people and, you know, you've got someone to do stock count for you and you have to do – from doing that all by yourself is is pretty confronting. And, and mm. also I guess um, kind of figuring out a routine that, that took me six months – to figure out like how yep. like what was the most that productive way of right. me oh like so I now realize I have to get out of bed you know I, I like I like being able to like spend a bit more time in bed I'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. um so some you know some if you're getting an email from me before nine o'clock it's probably been written in bed um but I you realize like kind of what you need so I need to like do some sort of exercise then I kind of can't start my day and that's when I kind of switch in yeah um but it takes a while to figure it out. You you don't. It's a real. It is a much bigger adjustment than you think that you're. Than I expected. I agree with that. Mm. We've spoken previously on this podcast to brand founders that have just launched with one product, and obviously there are advantages and disadvantages that come with that. You are a bit different in that you haven't launched with just one product, but it is a single category. So what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of having such a singular focus as a brand? It's uh, a really good question. Um, it, I, I think it allows you to have a real, like a laser focus mm-hmm. on product development and also on like your kind of messaging and comms. Um, I, I, like, I like kind of the fact that we're a, a single category brand yeah and we will 
you know, we'll, we will launch products that probably cross over, mm-hmm. um, but there'll always be the, the SPF message behind them. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's, I think it's good because people know, you know, people aren't, people aren't brand, they're, they're brand loyal, but they're not like multi-product brand loyal. People buy, buy will buy, you know, their blush from Hourglass, their, you know, tinted moisturizer from Bare Minerals. Like, so yes. I think being able to be like a, a highlight brand that people can go to for sunscreen is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a disadvantage is sometimes you like, I'm like, how much more can I say? Yeah. It, and I think that we, you know, I feel that with five products, so I don't know how people with one product feel. But sometimes I'm like, am I boring people? Um, You're not, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, so that can kind of be a real disadvantage. But I think it's mostly advantageous for us because people are like, okay, you guys are my SBF brand. Or mm-hmm. in a retailer, we might be the, the SBF brand. So I think in kind yeah. of depending on the on where the context, it can be a real advantage because you know, you can be the brand that people go to. Um, and because we've got enough options we and we're also working on bringing out more, that at some point in the near future, there should be literally something for everyone in, in our range. Mm-hmm. So you have been picked up by Adore Beauty. Kate yes. Morris saying you've made SPF sexy, which yes. I would Thanks, agree with. Kate. How has working with a retailer, still a digitally native one, but a retailer mm-hmm. nonetheless, how has that changed the way that the business operates? I guess we have to have a bit more structure around how we do things. Mm-hmm. To be honest, Adore Beauty are so amazing. They're so collaborative. We just love working with them. They're so flexible. Like they're mm. so understanding. Um, especially, I think, like going from being a small brand to Sephora USA or even Mecca um, would be a pretty scary thing. And even though we have retail experience and we both worked at Mecca and, you know, and on the brand side, I worked for Napoleon who was in DJs and a whole bunch of other retailers. So I kind of have an understanding of it. Um, and Beck does obviously as well. So we kind of knew what we were getting ourselves into with any retailer, but we kind of thought we, we actually thought we were going to keep the brand to ourselves for a lot longer than we did. Mm-hmm. We, we thought that we would have ultraviolet just on our own online channel for 12 months. Uh, but it ended up being, I think four months and then, or not even we were, we launched at the end of Jan and then by April we were in a door. Amazing. And we just thought there is nothing that like there, it couldn't do any harm to us. Yeah. Like Adora are really like amazing. They're amazing operators. They've got an amazing business. They're really known for skin. Yes. And they're really trusted for skincare. So we thought there's literally no harm that could come from this. Um, so it, it did change in terms of we had to be a bit more organised and we have to come to them with Christmas sets and, you know, in terms of yeah. that way of thinking, we can't just decide to run a promo with them and on the, the, the day before. So you kind of – you can't be as, I guess – nimble um but it's not like necessarily being in physical doors so it's kind of a really good it's it's a great way to jump into the retail environment from going to a you know a retail like a door to maybe something that's a bit bigger and has more physical locations Mm -hmm. you've worked in the beauty industry locally and internationally for if my research serves upwards of 12 years now yeah what are some of the biggest changes you've seen within the beauty industry in that time? Obviously, the rise of online and and yes. the, the decline of the department store and yeah. Um, I guess the way people shop yeah. has completely changed. And you know, 
when I was at Napoleon, David Jones and Maya ruled everything. They they were kind of not dictators at all, but they were kind of the ones that we were trying to impress all the time to yeah. take more stock. And that was and now it's like it's not like that at all. Not um, in the slightest. But I, I think there's another shift in terms of I think it's like kind of a provenance thing and, and people mm-hmm. I remember when I was younger, like Australian brands almost seemed a bit daggy. Yeah. And and no people you kind of had to prove yourself as an Australian brand by going international mm-hmm. and then and that kind of like international retailer was your stamp of approval to come back to Australia and be like, guys, look, I've made it. Like you can now, you know, shop from me. Yeah. Um but I think it's really different now. Like people want to shop local and that's not just across beauty, that's across fashion and and food and whatever. Yeah. But I, I think there's a lot more pride, um, I think, in Australian brands and it's really nice to see that, you know, the consumer is more receptive to and supportive of s- small Australian brands. Um, definitely. So I think that's been really amazing for us and I've definitely seen that, that whole kind of cultural cringe thing that was – kind yeah. of prevalent in the industry is has somewhat kind of reversed and th- people are really pr- proud. Well, it's because we don't have a gum tree on the front of all of the packaging. Well, exactly, and I think that's probably... Wattle. Yeah, I think the marketing and the... and the You know, I used to, like, roll my eyes at... I'd be like, oh, my God, here we go, another product with kakadu plum, and now mm. I, we've actually got kakadu plum in our products. Oh, it's so, a great ingredient. Yeah, it is. It is very high in vitamin C. Mm. Um, so I think there's a... You know, there's a couple of things. That whole Australian thing I've... I'm really embracing Mm. Um, and, you know, there's been a slew of brands that have opened that door for us, you know, Lanolips and um, Frank and GoTo. But obviously – and the other thing that I've seen is that I guess people are simplifying their routines a lot more and they're kind of – there's been that whole shift from like having a million products to having like just a handful of, Mm. you know, really good quality products with really good ingredients that – are actually helping your skin. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's been really beneficial for us has been the rise of skincare. I was at Mecca when the colour boom was happening and people could not get enough of Too Faced, of Urban Decay, of yes. NARS. And it's funny because it's completely shifted. Thank and skincare. God. Yeah. And people are now focusing on what what of uh, focusing on fixing the skin rather mm. than just masking it in, you know, really full coverage foundations yeah so i mean there's a lot of there's so many things in terms of how the the industry's changed but um i guess they're just a few just a handful just a handful so (laughs) that's how the industry has changed what do you think we can expect to see from the future of the beauty industry oh man if i knew that i'd probably i'd be launching another brand (laughs) (laughs) um People using more sunscreen, hopefully. Well, yeah. Um, look, I think I think the focus um, on skin will only get bigger and, and be stronger. And I right. hope that SPF is a part of that kind of conversation. I assume it will be. Um, you know, it's the, con- the consumer's getting savvier. People know what's in their products. Yeah. You know, people are really funny about fragrance. Yes, they um, are. And... You know, some people love it, some people hate it. You can't really win and fragrance is one of those things where 
like people for example people hate don't really like the fragrance of our clean screen it's pretty nothing it's kind of like cucumber it's kind of an it's a natural fragrance it's pretty i'm so immune to scent it just doesn't and it's very low levels but people really hate it um but we tested it without fragrance and people absolutely hated it like where to the point it was impacting their opinion on the overall product right um i don't know where i'm going with this actually uh future of beauty <laughs> and people care about what's yeah, in their products people, now. yeah and people are googling and there's i mean mm. look there's a lot of misinformation out there and i think people when you're kind of googling stuff you're reading maybe from other forums where that person yeah. may not be super educated or might be saying like we get so many questions like oh can i wear chemical sunscreens when i'm pregnant I've been told I can't. And I'm like, did your doctor tell you this? Or And they're like, oh, no, I just read it online. It was on YouTube. Yeah, oh, it was okay, on YouTube. Cool. I'm like, well, look, just always check with your doctor. Yeah. You know, just, I don't, again, I don't really know. I'm going with this, the future of beauty. Maybe we should start this question again. No, no, I actually, um, <laughs> feel free to tell me that I've, uh, you know, misread. But I think, I mean, personally, I think the future of beauty is the, we have all this access to information now, but yes. we also have as much access to the wrong 100%. stuff. So hopefully that is all streamlined and what we have access yeah. to in the future and, you is know, the right yeah. information. And a lot of brands are actually propagating this. You know, there's people talking yes. about releasing sunscreens that that is a zinc, for example, a yep. zinc sunscreen. They're saying there's no chemicals in it. It's like, well, newsflash. Everything's a chemical. Newsflash everyone. Water is a chemical. Yep. Zinc is not – they're not getting it out of the ground and crushing it up and formula, putting it into a big tub to put into your sunscreen. Like it's actually – it's a chemical – it's a lab-made product. Yep. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that a lot of – like that people kind of re-educate themselves in a way. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's the – whatever that, that – the six, the bad six or whatever it is. And I've seen like a nasty nine. It's like – oh. We've got to stop, you know, kind of bombing ingredients and like well, just it's trying to scare people into shopping an alternative. That's yeah, yeah. and it's not a good marketing tactic. No. It's actually it's not. I don't know. I just I would never. I, I just feel like there's a lot of there's so much information out there, and I hope that people, in a way, it's like maybe the rise. Maybe people should be shopping more online because then at least they're getting you know, or go shopping via their dermatologist or whatever it is. So at least they're getting, getting an educated mm. um, opinion and point of view. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I don't think that that whole kind of skincare phase is going anywhere. I don't Good. necessarily think it's a trend. I don't – I honestly don't think that that kind of local shopping, inverted commas, is a trend either. I think that hopefully, you know, brands – like I mentioned before, will open the door for more Australian brands. And mm-hmm. I think that's such a great thing where, you know, it's just where it's a borderless market. So yeah. if you've got an idea and you've got the means to make it happen and there's a hole in the market for it, like it's, it's, it's great. It's good. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. My final question. What is next for ultraviolet? Ooh, see, I always like say world domination and Beck's like, you've got to stop saying that. Like it's Nah, <laughs> keep saying it. Um, well, yeah, we are looking at international retailers and we're talking to a few. So that's Amazing. very exciting. Um, we're also talking to a physical retailer. So at some point soonish, we might be in sto- available in stores because that is the number one question that we get asked 
uh, is how can I try you in store? Right. Because people are scared about buying sunscreens online because they've been burnt, like literally burnt and, you know, in the past. So I totally get it and, you know, we'd love to be – um, available everywhere but we're still we can't grow too fast otherwise we'll shoot ourselves in the foot mm. um we're working on some really great products as well uh you know we've got a body sunscreen coming out in probably jan um Exciting. but aside from though that we've got some other great products in the pipeline that are, you know have been historically very tricky to make so we're kind of just taking our time with it don't want to launch something that ends up you know that people end up hating for whatever reason. So there's a lot. It's going to be a busy summer. That's for sure. That was Ava Matthews, co-founder of Ultraviolet, which you can find on Instagram at ultravioletau. To read my interview with Ava, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.